Perfect. There we go. All right. Proverbs chapter 3. So uh, let's review just a little bit here, okay? Because even though we're not very far into Proverbs, it's been a long time since we've been here. Um, anybody remember what our definition of wisdom is? Because wisdom, or Proverbs is a book about wisdom, remember? So what is our definition of wisdom? Does anybody remember? Maybe we'll just fill in it as we go. Wisdom is, what's the first word? Or you can say wisdom is an act of what? Rebellion. Wisdom is an act of behavior. Wisdom is an act of what? What is anything that we do that's the praise of God? What do we call that? Is it the room? What is it? Should we, should, we just, should we just talk about it? Is it is it weird? Okay. It's just weird? It's okay. It doesn't have to be weird. Okay, I promise. What is anything that we do that is meant to please and honor and glorify God? What do we call that? It's a W word. Don't make me spell it, especially because it would be embarrassing if I didn't spell it correctly. What is it? Do you know, Luca? Oh, I don't know if you're raising your hand. What? It's worship. Thank you. Oh, thank goodness. Saved. So wisdom is worship. Particularly, it's worshiping God by rightly applying his what? Truth. Yep, I saw you mouth it. You can say it louder next time. By rightly applying his truth to what? Real life situations. There you go. So if you need to write it down again from memory, so that when I quiz you next week, we don't have this awkward silence. Wisdom, worshiping God, by rightly applying his truth to real life situations. Okay, so we've talked about that a number of different times. We've been seeing really how that uh, fleshes itself out in Proverbs so far. A lot of uh, what Solomon has been doing has been laying the groundwork for uh, this principle, this concept of wisdom. And a lot of it has been reminders about the benefits and all that wisdom uh, offers you as a follower of God. And so today we're going to look at a very practical uh, expression of how wisdom is so important in everyday life as a Christian. So uh, let's do this. I'm going to have you stand. We're going to read from Proverbs chapter 3. So hopefully you're there. Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 21. And we're just going through verse 26. So a very short section this morning. Uh, but one that's going to be hopefully very helpful for us. So starting in verse 21. Solomon writes this. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. All right, go ahead and have a seat. We're going to pray, and we'll jump into... Uh, our study. So Father, we do pray now for uh, the moments ahead where we have this privilege to uh, sit together, uh, to study the Bible together. Uh, we want to be young people who are humble 
and dependent upon you. We don't want to be know-it-alls. We want to be uh, a people who are known for learning and for growing and desiring to know you more. And so I pray that this morning you would give that heart to our students in the midst of uh, a world that is filled with distractions uh, or sleepiness, whatever it may be. Uh, set those things aside now so that we can give you our best so that we might be uh, those who walk faithfully in wisdom so that you would be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm a little nervous to do this because you guys have not been very interactive so far, but we're going to see where this goes because that's where my notes are. Uh, I'm going to give you another trivia question here, but this one I'm not giving you options for. I just want to see where it goes. So, uh, question is this. What is the most repeated command in the Bible? What is the most repeated command in the Bible? It doesn't have to be said the exact same way, but it's essentially the same thing. Yes. Do not be afraid. Well done, Will. Yes. Do not be afraid or fear not, right? So one variation of that or the other. Do not be afraid. Uh, and that's interesting because we might not, uh, it might not be what we would expect uh, in a book full of all kinds of commands. Uh, do not be afraid is the one that emerges higher than any other command. But I also think it goes to show the real threat that fear plays in the life of God's people. That fear and worry and anxiety, nervousness, worriedness, whatever you want to call it, uh, are all very real threats to our daily life. Uh, anxiety is something that is constantly talked about in our society today. Um, it has been described by some at times as even an expression, we could say, of, uh, of atheism because it is to operate and to live as if God doesn't exist. Uh, you live in a world that suddenly feels so dependent on you that... It's hard to think of anything outside of that. And so how does wisdom respond to fear? How does wisdom, as a follower of God, seek to fight against and combat against fear and worry and anxiety and all these things that may be going on in your life? Well, I think that this passage would show us and teach us that wisdom overcomes fear by trusting in the Lord. Let's see if this can actually work. Ha, ha, ha. Wisdom overcomes fear by trusting in the Lord. And that may, to you, sound maybe a, a little bit simplistic this morning. Um, but anyone who has struggled with fear or anxiety knows that this is far from simplistic. This is far from easy. Uh, so the point of saying it this way and the hope for this morning is to, be, is to particularly address those areas of life that are most susceptible to fear. And the reason we want to address this subject, uh, other than the fact that it's where the passage takes us, is that fear is also a horrible master. Um, if you have operated before where fear or worry, anxiety panic, those things are, are driving your life, you know that that's a really uh, life-taking way to live. 
And that is because fear is a horrible master. It is uh, disorienting. It is tiring to live when you are being driven by fear rather than trust or love. Uh, I know that this is something that has been going on in our own household with one of our daughters lately. She's been kind of living in that world at times, and you can see where it robs her of all joy and happiness and is just life-sucking at times. And so I, I hope that this can be really practical for you this morning because I know that for young people, fear is a very real thing. Uh, anxiety, uh, Panic, those types of things can be extremely concerning. And so I want this passage to be very practical and helpful for you, even though the principles may sound simplistic at times. Um, I'm going to give you this morning, as we look back through this here, just three ways that trust overcomes fear. Three ways that trust overcomes fear. Because again, wisdom overcomes fear by trusting in the Lord. So what exactly do we need to trust in? So let's look at those three things here. This morning, the first is that wisdom overcomes fear by trusting in the Lord's provision, by trusting in the Lord's provision. And the provision that it's talking about is in verses 21 and 22 there. Look again with me where he says, my son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. So he begins in the same way that he's began a lot of these sections here. Usually, you know, he's entering into a new thought whenever he says, my son. Uh, He's getting the attention of his child, right? So think about sometimes when you're trying to get the attention of a a kid, especially if you're a parent. A lot of times it's like getting down to their level, saying their name. Sometimes you even maybe need to like kind of, you know, grab them by the chin and say like, hey, look, look at me. Listen to me. Look what I'm trying to say to you. That's Solomon's way of doing this here. So every time Solomon does this, he does so for two reasons. The first is to get our attention, just like a little kid. But also he does so to call us to remember. Calls us to remember. And that call to remember is important here because so often our fears and our worries and our anxieties come from forgetfulness. That's really important to remember this morning. That a lot of times the reason we're so fearful or we're driven by fear is because we become forgetful. We forget something. Um, so think about this here for a moment. When we forget about God's place in our lives, when we forget that God is the one who rules over thing, rules over everything, is in charge over everything, controls every aspect of our lives. Think about how that practically impacts the way that you live every day. You start to, to live functionally like he doesn't exist. And so what is the reminder that Solomon provides to his son here about wisdom? He says to him, do not lose sight of these things. He says, don't let them out of your sight. What are the, these things that he's talking about here? He's talking about wisdom. He's talking about discretion. He's talking about all these things that he's talking about, really, in the first two and a half chapters of Proverbs so far. He's saying, all these things that I've taught you about how to live in God's world, don't forget them. Keep your eyes on these things. In fact, he says here to him, do not lose sight. Keep them ever before your sight. 
how many of you, uh, your parent, ever said something like this to you? I need to be where you, I can see you, and you need to be where I, uh, you can see me, right? Trip over that, right? I need to be where I can see you, and you need to be where you can see me. I think your parents ever said something like that to you, right? That there has to be some degree of sight. So if maybe you were playing outside or in the neighborhood, right? If your parent was in the driveway, they said you needed to be somewhere where there was a clear line of sight that you could see each other at all points in time, right? That's the exact same idea that Solomon is presenting here to you. But he's saying this needs to be your perspective as it relates to God and especially to God's wisdom. And God's provision. So what is it that God has provided you as a young person? What has God given to you that makes all the difference? Uh, remember, this wisdom is not Solomon's, but this is God's. And, and peace begins by trusting what the Lord has supplied to you in his word. Right? So one of the very clear applications of this is that you always need to have your sights on what God's word is saying. In the midst of your fears, your worries, your anxieties... One of the quickest places that we neglect to go to is to the Bible. We forget to go to the promises of God that he has given to us to see and to behold and to pray over and to know by heart. And yet we're so quick to run to all kinds of other things. We try to escape maybe to uh, entertainment or to social media. We run to all kinds of uh, uh, people that we think are going to give us answers or help where the Lord is the one who has promised to give us exactly what we need. And if we're not allowing God's wisdom to fill us, then we are opening the door for anything and everything else to fill us, right? Including the worries and cares of this world. I mean, <laughs> it's so interesting to me that so often one of the ways that we uh, escape uh, in our culture is that, especially for young people, and I, I understand this for myself as well, is that a lot of times we run to like social media type stuff. And the really interesting thing is about that, if you were to look at studies and research, and I've, I've done that a lot over the years, is that if you were to look at uh, like a, a, a graph or a chart of teenage worry and anxiety, that has skyrocketed over the last 15 years. Well, what has developed in the last 15 years over that time as well? Think about all the advancements in technology and media and entertainment. All that stuff has risen dramatically over the last 15 years, and along with it, so has teenage worry and anxiety because we're more connected in ways than we ever have been, but for especially young people, that becomes maybe not always a good thing. It puts you in a world where you're constantly comparing yourselves to other people. You're constantly trying to be like other people, be influenced by all kinds of other things. And if you've been there and you've been in this place where fear and worry and anxiety are, are driving you, you know it can be exhausting. It can be life draining. But Solomon reminds us that those who keep their eyes fixed on God's wisdom will not only have peace, they will have life. Notice what he says here in verse 23. Then you will walk on your way securely. Oh, sorry, no, verse 22. They will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Uh, in other words, they are life-giving. 
And they're not only life-giving, they're attractive, they're beautiful. And they stand out in a way for others to see. That's that idea of adornment there. Um, hey, a volunteer for a moment. Who, who, who feels like they want to be a volunteer for something this morning? I need a model. Who feels like, you want to be a model? Yes, you do. Awesome, I love it. You're a winner today, too, so. Yeah. Um, so this idea of adornment, uh, especially here, is back in this day when it says adornment for your neck, what does that, what does that seem like it indicates? What, what, would, what would go around your neck? Ladies, what goes around your neck? Yeah. A what? A necklace. But not just any necklace, right? Like a beautiful necklace. Something that showcases to the world. So this idea of adornment is something that is big and beautiful and colorful and appealing to others. So go ahead and put that on there, Maddie. So we think about adornments, it says this in this passage, it is something that is not only life-giving, but it is also something that stands out to others so that they notice and see it is adornment for your neck. <laughs> Which looks amazing, by the way, on Maddie here, if we think about this idea of color and life-giving, right? So you can wear that the rest of the time if you want to. Okay. You don't have to, but you can. Might be a little distracting to me, but I like it. So, but there's this cooperating effect here, right? Where you put yourself before wisdom, you put yourself before God and his word. If you are humble and teachable, then God will allow that to change and transform you as a result. So, first step of how trust overcomes fear is by trusting in the Lord's provision. Second thing is by trusting in the Lord's protection. Not only what God has given to you, but the, what the Lord promises to protect you from. Verses 23 and 24 uh, talk about this. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. So when he says then in verse 23, that implies result. If you are allowing your mind and your sight to be filled by God's truth and what God has given to you, then you are going to feel and experience this protection of the Lord over your life. And you can trust in the Lord's provision and protection day and night. And this is not just some figure of speech. That's exactly what the text tells us here. Verse 23, when you walk, that talks about during the daytime. When you lie down, that's during the evening time, right? So every aspect of your life then is covered by the Lord's protection. Waking or sleeping, you can rest in the fact that God is in control over your life. Now, verse 23 says that you will walk Securely. Think about that word securely for a moment. What are some of the things, let's just throw them out there. What are some of the things that exist in our world today that we have in the name of security? Just throw them out there. You don't even have to raise your hand. What are some things that exist in the world today in the name of security? What's that? Police officers. Excellent. What else? What's that? What else? Cameras. Cameras? Yep, absolutely. We've got cameras. Yeah. Security cameras. Security cameras, particularly. Yep, all right. What else? Mom. Mom. <laughs> Mom, that's great. Moms exist for security. That's great. Uh, what else? What else exists in our world today in the name of security? There's a lot of things I was thinking about. Guns. Guns, all right. 
What about alarms? Locks? Panic rooms? Security systems? Insurance, right? Insurance. So you don't know what insurance is, but one day you will know the joys of insurance. But insurance exists in the name of security and safety. And there's all kinds of different insurance you can get out there to protect you. Right? So all these things exist in our world today because we live in a world uh, that values safety and security. And Solomon assures us that the best safeguard in your life as a follower of God is God himself. There is no greater sense of security and safety than God. Now, let me ask you this. Does that mean that no harm will ever come to you in life? What do you think? Does that mean nothing bad will ever happen to you? No. Okay, so all of us are wise enough to understand that truth. That doesn't mean that we're, uh, we're exempt from having anything bad ever happen to us. But what it does do is it gives us a sense of peace that guards our minds from daily worries knowing that God is in control. Knowing that no matter what does happen to us, the greatest sense of security we have is that we belong to the Lord. Think about the mindset that somebody like Paul had that we talked about months ago when we studied Philippians chapter 1 when he is able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? Like, that's, that's not normal for people to think that way. To say, if I die, okay, no big deal. I get to be with God. That's actually better. He would go on to say that in that passage. It's actually better that I would depart to be with Jesus because to be with Jesus is far better than this world. But to live means everything is all about Jesus in this world. So it's really a win-win either way. That's, that's a sense of peace and security that only the Lord can supernaturally bring to those who are trusting and living with him. And so that gives us a sense of peace that guards our minds from daily worries, knowing that God is in control in all things. Whether it's riding on a plane and you have worries about planes, or whether it's just being around a group of people. Whether it be having a test in school or having a big performance the next day, whatever it may be, the peace that the Lord brings, just knowing that God is in control, protects you from all those things. And one of the places that we see fear and anxiety more than any other area of our life that this passage even kind of draws out is where? End of verse 24. What area often is affected by fear and worry and anxiety? Sleep. Let me ask you this. Have you ever lost sleep because you were worried about something? Raise your hand. Have you ever lost sleep because you were worried about something? Okay, absolutely. Solomon's principle in verse 24 here is that trust in our waking hours leads to sweet slumber in our sleeping hours. Trust in our waking hours leads to sweet slumber in our sleeping hours. Wisdom will tuck you into bed each night and allow you to have a good night's rest. And he says it will be sweet. I don't know how many times you've woken up and you've described your sleep that you had that night as sweet. Maybe one day you will now because you're so just resting in the Lord and his provision for you. This allows us to remember that God is God and we are not. One of the wisest principles that you can ever remember is that very reality that God is the one who's in control. I am not. I'm not in control of everything. 
So the ability to go to bed each night without the weight of the fears or worldly concerns on your shoulders is a way of saying to God, I trust you. I trust you. It's the greatest reason we can trust the Lord is because of his preserving power. So we've talked about here how we trust, how trust overcomes uh, fear by trusting in the Lord's provision, trusting in the Lord's protection, and then, thirdly, by trusting in the Lord's preservation. Wow, Scott, that's a really big P word. That's, that's pushing it there. So what, is, what does that actually mean? Let's, let's talk about that for a moment. Preservation is kind of a big word. What does it mean to preserve something? What does it mean to preserve something? Yeah. Keep it good for a long time. Yeah, to keep it good for a long time. A lot of times we think about preserving what for a long time. Yeah. Food, yes. Right? We want to preserve food as long as possible. Keep it good as long as possible. So this is, this is an interesting concept here about trusting in the Lord's preservation. Uh, think about preservation as the Lord's keeping power to keep what belongs to him. Uh, verses 25 and 26 speak to this. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. These verses warn us not to be afraid of the judgment that is coming upon the wicked. And you think to yourself, well, what difference does that make? Well, verse 24 kind of speaks about it as like a sudden dread. Uh, sudden dread, like being something that comes upon you, even though you knew it was coming, it still feels unexpected. So how many of you have ever woken up uh, on a school day before to realize that there is an assignment due? that you've known about for weeks, but you have totally put off and it's due that day. Has that happened to you? I mean, I'm sure it doesn't in this group, but has it really though? You know, you know that, you know that, or a test, right? All of a sudden you're like, oh no, that's today. I totally knew about it, but uh, apparently it was not ready. That's the, the idea here is that when he talks about the day of, of terror, the day of judgment, he's talking about uh, the day of the Lord's uh, judgment on humanity. Even though that's something that we know is coming and it's expected, it can still come so quickly. He's saying, you don't have to fear that day the way the rest of the world does. He tells his son here that he needs to not fear this coming day of ruin for the wicked because those who walk in wisdom should have no reason to fear what the future holds. If you're resting securely in, your fa in the fact that you are a child of God, then that should give you no concern uh, in your walk that you belong to God's. In fact, this is kind of what uh, Paul talks about in Romans 8.1, where he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word condemnation means judgment, wrath, punishment, right? They, if you belong to God, you don't have to fear those things the, re the way the rest of the world does. That's the most important thing that you could possibly fear in this world is the wrath of an almighty God. And so if you are putting your trust in God, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the fact that he has taken that wrath and that punishment for you, the Bible says everything else pales in comparison to that. If God is for you, who can be against you? What, what else can you really be concerned about? We should not fear death. We should not fear judgment. And yet, even true followers of God can forget to rest in this truth. One of our camp speakers that we've had before, Rick Collins, says it this way. He says, fear of judgment is one of the greatest thieves 
to sleep. Perhaps I would say this also. Perhaps this is the greatest matter that I've counseled young people on more than any other over the years. In the last decade of my life, as I've talked with young people, this fear about whether or not they belong to God or this idea of assurance of salvation is perhaps one of the greatest uh, matters that I've counseled people on. Uh, even just last month, I was meeting with a lady in our church who uh, is several decades older than you, and she has for years wrestled with that truth of whether or not she is actually saved. I mean, think about the amount of anxiety that can produce in you when you realize the weight of God's judgment. But the call here is to trust that you belong to the Lord. It all comes down to confidence. Notice here, the Lord will be your confidence. So the question for you this morning is this, young person, what is your confidence, what is your source of trust that you will not face the punishment of God one day? Are you trusting the fact that you come from a really good Christian family that you've gone to church your whole life and that one day when you stand before God, you're going to say, well, we were faithful and we, we, we attended church every week. Is that going to be your confidence? Is your confidence going to be that you tried really hard in school, you, you did your best with grades, you were a good friend to other people, you tried not to do too many bad things? Is that going to be what you say your confidence is? is? Are you trusting your obedience to God to be your source of confidence one day? Because... If that's the case, if any of those things I just listed are the reason that you are putting your confidence in not facing judgment of God, then you have every reason to be fearful. You have every reason to be fearful today. So where does your peace actually come from? Verse 26, for the Lord will be your confidence. If your trust is in all those other things, then you will always live in fear, worry, and anxiety, especially of God's impending judgment. But if your trust is rooted and grounded in the Lord and what he has done, especially now that we have the fullness of the Bible, we know the full picture of Jesus Christ coming to take the Father's wrath, to die in your place, to give you eternal life on his behalf. If that is your confidence, if that is what you're trusting in, then you can live in great confidence knowing that you will not come to ruin, that your foot will not be caught, as verse 26 says, that your life as a follower of God, your soul will forever be preserved by God, not because of anything that you, young person, have done, but completely because of what the Lord has done for you. So how does... Trust overcome fear by trusting in the Lord's provision, by trusting in the Lord's protection, and by trusting in the Lord's preservation. Again, all these are trust in things outside of yourself, not trusting in your own power, not trusting in the things that you can do, but trusting in what the Lord provides. So let's look at a couple of points that we should ponder as we wrap this up this morning. First is this. 
Forgetfulness often leads to fear. How many of you would describe yourself this morning as a forgetful person? How many people would... (laughs) How many would other people describe you as a forgetful person? (laughs) Okay? So we're all kind of naturally forgetful people. And I would say many, if not most, of the spiritual problems that we face in this life are due to some form of forgetfulness. Uh, We're very quick to forget, aren't we? We're studying here on Sunday mornings, we're studying the book of Joshua, right? And think about the fact that the Israelites who were delivered by God by the plagues, by the walking through the Red Sea, by being provided food and water in the wilderness, all these amazing miracles of deliverance that when they got to the promised land and they saw the giants and they saw the walls and they saw the people, thought, well, I guess there's nothing we can do about it, right? You're like, this is the same God who just destroyed Pharaoh with frogs and gnats and flies, and you think that he can't take out these guys? And we see how that pattern exists throughout all the Bible, and we see how it's so true even in our own lives. That we can one day be so confident in the Lord, so trusting of him, and then the very next, whenever we face a crisis with one of our friends, or with a teammate, or with a family member, a sibling, all of a sudden we think to ourselves, well, I don't know what God's able to do there. God's great and all, but I, this, is, this is beyond him. So think about how forgetfulness leads often, so often, to our stumbling as Christians. How it leads to fear. Uh, That is true when we actively sin, but also when we passively fear or worry. And I think about what Jesus uh, would say in the Sermon on the Mount. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? How many of you have spent a lot of time worrying about something and felt a lot better afterwards. I'm going to guess very few of you have. And I think that that's the point that Jesus gets at there, is that how many of you, after worrying about something, really feel better about yourselves? He says, you can't add an hour to your life. In fact, you often get done worrying and you're like, man, I feel like I just wasted days. Wasted a lot of time worrying about something. And so we need to be mindful of how forgetfulness often is the biggest contributor to our fear. We need to remember God's character, God's provision, the way that God has always been there for us in the past, and the fact that God has given us everything we need to trust in him. Uh, Secondly, this is kind of an interesting one for you this morning, but sleep communicates something about your trust in God. Uh, I thought this was just kind of an interesting one that we should spend just a few more minutes on. Um, I talked about this, I think, a few years ago, and it got misunderstood because I think somebody thought I was saying, if you sleep more, you're holier. Um, And that is not at all what this is saying, although I would say there is much wisdom in getting uh, good sleep as much as you are able. You can get too much sleep as well. There's also the opposite end of that. We're going to learn about a character later on in the book of Proverbs called the sluggard. He's an awesome guy, um, but he's very lazy. He sleeps a lot, does, lets a lot of people do work on his behalf. Um, so we're not talking about that, uh, but we're also wanting to make sure we avoid the ditch of the people who don't sleep very well. 
Um, so there's two different ways I, I, I think that we should look at this. Number one, um, and I think the, the main application from this passage is this, is that uh, where sleep, or sorry, where uh, anxiety keeps you up at night, where fears and worries are the things that keep you from sleeping, right? So think about what, what that communicates to God and to the world when sleep is what keeps you awake at night. Uh, you think to yourself, somehow this is going to make things better. Somehow this is going to, I'm going to regain control of this situation, right? So this communicates something about how much you're trusting the Lord if that fear or that worry is keeping you up at night. Uh, but I think that there's another way of looking at this, the second scenario where what keeps you awake is your own self-sufficiency, um, perhaps you're a person who feels like you need to stay awake a lot uh, because you get things more done by not sleeping. You think to yourself, I'll stay awake really late at night, work on things, I'll get up really early and wake on things. You've heard of people maybe who uh, burn the candle at both ends of the night. Um, and you do so in the name of saying, like, I need to get these things done because if I don't, life's going to fall apart. Think about what that communicates as well. That somehow life is dependent upon me. I have to get these things done. Otherwise, everything's going to fall apart. But I think, again, your sleep and your willingness to sleep communicates something about your trust in the Lord, whether or not you're resting in that or not. Uh, there's an amazing book, and actually it's one that I think is on our, it might still be on our resource center over in the other building here, but uh, by Kevin DeYoung that he wrote years ago called Crazy Busy. And in one of those chapters, he talks about this important principle of rest and sleeping. And he says this, we tend to assume it's always godlier to forego sleep for more important activity. But God made us physical beings. We can't go without sleep very long without doing our bodies and our souls great damage. That's the way that God made us, finite and fragile. He made us to spend, listen to this, he made us to spend almost a third of our lives not doing anything except depending on him. Going to sleep is our way of saying, I trust you, God, you'll be okay without me. That quote has stuck with me for years, reminding me that it doesn't depend on me. I mean, think about that, that statistic for a moment, that God made you to exist in such a way that almost a third of your life, and if you're confused on how he gets that math, he's basing that on eight hours of sleep a day. There's 24 hours in the day, right? A third of that is eight. Math, you didn't know you were going to do it this morning. Eight hours, if you're getting a nice, well-rounded night's sleep, means that all you're doing while you're sleeping is trusting God to be God and saying, God, you'll be okay without me. So your sleep does communicate something about your trust in God. And then finally, last thing for this morning, is that God's presence brings peace. And this is something that uh, if you are in main service, if you were there first service, or you're going to be here in second service, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this. This is something that's very true for Joshua, where God is able to promise Joshua the reason that he can have trust and confidence going into the promised land is that his presence is going with Joshua. 
Uh, this is the very same principle that God gave to Timothy. When Timothy was tasked with leading a really big and prominent church in Ephesus, he reminded Timothy that God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The spirit that the Lord has given to you is not one that should drive fear and worry and anxiety in your life. Instead, the power of the Lord's presence in your life is that it should bring you greater peace. In fact, that's what Jesus promised his followers on the night that he was going to depart from them. They were worried and they were fearful because Jesus, the one who had led them for the last three and a half years, said he is now leaving them. But he says to them, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to send you my helper, my spirit, and he will be with you always. And student, you have to come to grips with, you have to recognize that if you are trusting in the Lord, if the Lord is your confidence, if the blood of Jesus has covered your sins and you are walking by faith, the Lord promises that his presence is always with you. And that brings immense peace. That brings immense comfort so that you know day in and day out that you do not walk alone. That you do not, you are not ill-equipped for the troubles and the cares and the worries that this world brings. But rather you have been given everything you need to walk by faith. And so that is the, the truth as the principle that drives us this morning as we've been able to look at this and see how faith is able to overcome fear by trusting in the Lord in his provision, in his protection, and his preservation. So let's pray, and we're going to wrap up here so we allow enough time for the next group to get in here for service. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for these students, their attentiveness, and the opportunity to unpack uh, these principles a little bit more here this morning. Uh, I'm grateful for the fact that you are a gracious God who gives us all that we need to live in life and godliness. And so help us to rest in this truth. Um, for those maybe even this morning who are wrestling with some type of fears or worries, anxieties that are really dominating their life, I pray that this might provide some sense of peace and comfort and solace to their souls, uh, that, Lord, they would run to you, that they would set their sights back on you rather than to their circumstances that seem to often be drowning them. So we know that you are a gracious God and you delight to give your children what you need, and so we pray. Uh, with humble hearts asking that you would provide and that you would help us to walk daily in faith, uh, that your name would be glorified and that it would be an adornment, Lord. It would be attractive to those around this world, that they would see the faith and the trust that we have in daily life and that that might, as a result, drive them to trust in you as well. So would you do that for your name's sake, we ask. Amen.